Well, church, why don't you grab a seat? So glad that you are here. Great job, band. And if you have a Bible, if you would open up to Matthew chapter 5. But before we do that, and while you're doing that, um, I want to uh, draw your attention real quick to a video we're about to show uh, here in a second, uh, highlighting a ministry that we support here at Providence North. So there are many different ministries. There are different church plants. There are different uh, missions organizations that we support as a church Uh, that we send resources, dollars, and people's time uh, to make sure the gospel goes forth. And one of the organizations that we're very proud and honored to support is called Hope International. And Hope International um, is a organization that is in hundreds of countries now all over the world. And what they do is they provide discipleship and they provide uh, financial resources through microfinance lending in places all over the world uh, that are economically impoverished. And so what this organization does is they, uh, they give small micro loans to uh, groups of people that are found in churches. They're being discipled and they'll give out small loans Uh, So that someone, for example, could buy a sewing machine, what would normally take them years and years and years to save up for, Hope comes in and builds the infrastructure and systems, doesn't just give them dollars, but teaches them to save, pool resources, and give out loans from amongst God's people so that businesses can be launched and started all over the world. And they have been doing this for many, many years, and it's a wonderful organization, And so what we're going to be doing periodically here is trying to connect us as a church to the heart of different things that we support and that we're involved with as a church uh, through missions. And so I want to just show a quick video. It's like a two-minute video to give you an overview of what Hope International does and give you an understanding of that when you support and give to Providence North, you're supporting great organizations like this. And so take a look at this video, uh, Hope International. At Hope International, we look at the world around us and see beauty and potential. But we also see brokenness, broken communities, broken families, and broken dreams. We believe that God wants to restore this brokenness. Hope International's mission is to invest in the dreams of families in the world's underserved communities as we proclaim and live the gospel. We do this in four ways. We provide people with biblically-based training, equipping them to mobilize the skills God has given them we offer them a safe place to save money for the future. We help unlock their potential through small loans. And we disciple, pointing people toward Christ while connecting them to local churches. So what does this approach look like? Meet Marie. Marie lives in a large city in the Republic of Congo. With no formal education and few jobs available, she and her husband struggle to provide for their children. God has given Marie skills, dreams, and a great work ethic. She's a talented seamstress, but with her family's limited income, it would take her 20 years to save up $100 for a sewing machine. But what if Marie could buy a sewing machine today? Through Hope, she joins a group of entrepreneurs from her community and receives a small loan. She uses the money to make her sewing business a reality, meaning more regular income for her family. Over six months, her group meets every other week. During these meetings, they worship, study the Bible, complete biblically-based training, save money, and make repayments together. Marie is hearing about Christ's love and learning to walk with Him. Now she is more able to put her skills to work and her family is on the path to thriving. Daniel also has big dreams for his family. Daniel is a farmer in rural Malawi. His family lives mostly on the crops he grows and they sell whatever's left over. 
Even though he works hard, Daniel never seems to earn much beyond his family's daily needs. But when neighbors from a local church invite him to a savings group, he joins. Each group member saves small amounts, sometimes as little as 10 cents a week. As their collective savings grow, they can use these funds for school fees, emergencies, or to invest in businesses. With his savings, Daniel buys and raises goats, selling their kids at market. And eventually, he saves enough for a cow. When the group meets together, they support one another, pray, study scripture, and learn how God has equipped them to provide for others in their churches and communities. Now, Daniel has more hope for the future. Around the world, we're seeing men and women use the gifts God has placed in their hands, their time, dreams, and talents, to break the cycle of poverty. We're seeing them reconciled to their Creator and their dignity restored. We're seeing relationships thrive within families, neighborhoods, and communities. That's how hope helps families flourish. Learn more about investing in dreams at hopeinternational.org. So that's one of our ministry partners. It's an amazing organization. They're doing tremendous work all over the globe. And so um, we support them ongoing. We actually have someone here at our church. It's one of their representatives, Amy Davis. If you know Amy, Amy works with Hope. And so unfortunately, uh, she's not here today. Um, but we want to connect our church more, more and more with this organization. So there's different opportunities that you're going to see coming in the future. And even we're hoping uh, one day to be able to uh, build a trip to go and see the work that they're doing. And maybe some of us can connect even the dollars and cents that we help provide this organization with the families and faces uh, that these, this ministry is making impact with uh, or, or across the globe. And so... Um, it's fitting that we looked at that video. Uh, today's text that we're in as we study the Sermon on the Mount is the text that we all know as salt and light, where Jesus looks at his followers, he looks at his disciples and says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. And so Hope is one of those organizations that is desiring to and striving to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world to others, to show and shine the love of Christ in dark places, places that don't have hope, they're helping bring hope. They're helping break the cycle of poverty. And so hope is one of those that we're honored to partner with. And so we are going to continue preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's most famous sermon he ever preached. He grabs his disciples and he begins to teach them. He begins to teach them what does it mean to live in line with the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live with kingdom principles? What does it mean to be a believer here in the time that we find ourselves today? And so this Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus started out this sermon with a series of sayings. And we looked at these last week. And they all have the same theme, this theme of blessedness. Or it can be translated into happiness. And it's called, they're called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? All of these different things that Jesus has us look at are known as the Beatitudes. And in other words, it's, it's the truly blessed life, Jesus is telling us, right? Jesus answers the question for us, where can true happiness come from? Where do we find true happiness, what does true human flourishing look like? How do we flourish as people? How do we find the peace and happiness that we are all striving to look for, right? And Jesus tells us. The whole world is looking for these answers. And Jesus tells us, he shows us exactly where blessing and happiness and flourishing can be found. Isn't that amazing? 
It's incredible that he just tells us. He's not hiding it from us. It's not a mystery that we need to unlock. There's no code in the Bible that if we just put the right puzzle pieces together, then suddenly we find it and it's unlocked. It's, it's, he just comes right out and he tells us. But here's the problem, is we just tend not to like his answers because they are so foreign to what we think and where we think true blessedness or happiness come from. We tend to not like his answers. And so last week we looked at the eight Beatitudes, the eight things that Jesus says to live a blessed and happy life. And they are very far from what we tend to do the hashtag blessed life with, right? They look very different. They are not the same thing. We normally, with the things that Jesus says is the blessed life, are not the things that we would probably just simply put up on social media because Jesus flips the script. It's the upside down kingdom, if you will. And it's, it's interesting because he says true blessing can be found in this life. True happiness can be found in this life. But it's so countercultural. It's otherworldly almost. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't seem to fit in with the categories that we have built happiness and what we think blessedness truly is. It's, it's distinct if you really do this, if you live like this. It's different than any of us would ever imagine. And so Jesus taught that true happiness and true blessing and true blessedness can be found by being poor in spirit, he begins by saying. He says, it can only be found when we mourn over our sins and the sins of the world. It's found in being meek. Jesus says, it's found in hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he told us. Jesus taught that true happiness, true blessedness, is promised to the merciful to the pure in heart, to the peacemaker, and to those who rejoice even when the world persecutes us for loving and obeying Jesus. That's what he tells us. Trusting and savoring in Jesus. Even the world looks at us and says, that's crazy. So those are the, the eight Beatitudes that we looked at last week. And today we're going to be looking at the next few verses right off the heels of this, right off the heels of this is what it means to live a life that is honoring in the kingdom of God, that where you will find true joy, where you will find true blessedness, where you will find true happiness. In the next lesson that he teaches us, Matthew 5, read 13 through 16, he looks at his followers and he says, you are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works <coughs> and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So a people who are aspiring to live out these beatitudes, to us, the church, that Jesus gives these beatitudes to, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. 
right, after, right on the heels of, that, of all these beatitudes. You are the light of the world. Right? Now, the curse of this passage uh, is that it's probably, if you grew up in the church at all, is that it's very familiar to you. Right? You've heard this a lot. Raise your hand if you've ever heard uh, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Anyone in here? Okay, a few of us have, yeah. Um, the curse of, uh, of any teacher is that when you teach a very familiar passage, we tend to do what? We just, I've heard that before. I kind of know what that means. I'll tune out and I'll daydream or I'll uh, look at Twitter for the next uh, few minutes, right? We just, we kind of, we almost get inoculated to it because it's so familiar. It's, oh, that's, that, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'll have to fact check with my mom, but I'm pretty sure that verse was on the Thomas Kincaid painting when I was growing up that was hanging in one of the hallway walls, right? It's on coffee mugs, it's on paintings, right? And so, but, but what does he mean here? There is great and important meaning in this, and it's so difficult to grasp. It's not just one of these things that's flippantly said, but it is, has tremendous meaning. So what is Jesus teaching us here when he says, you are the, the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world? Well, he's teaching us at least three things that we're going to look at this morning. We don't have time to get to all of them, but he's teaching us first that God's people, you and I, the church, are to be distinct and set apart in the world in which we operate and live. The second thing he's teaching us, that yes, though we are distinct and set apart, we are not separate from the world. We are distinct and set apart. We are unique, right, as God's people, but we are not separate from the world. So that, lastly, we might influence the world. By calling us salt and light, Jesus is teaching us to be distinctive, but not separate so that we can make change in the world in which we operate and live. That's what he's doing. So before we dig into the words of Jesus here, what it means to be set apart but not separate, I want to talk about salt. That'll be fun, right? Let's talk about salt. Why did he use this terminology? What's going on here? Well, salt, you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, salt doesn't seem too exciting, but salt is the most common household commodity in all of the world. You can find salt in just about every single home in the entire world. It is the most common commodity, right? Not just today, but throughout all of history. Salt was the earliest form of a preservative. We tend to think of it just as seasoning, but salt was actually the earliest form of it was used to preserve things. It was before refrigeration, so it was meant to keep things as they should be so they didn't rot and decay. It was a preservative. And so as a result, in the ancient world in which Jesus lived and operated, when he said this, it was a highly valued commodity. People wanted to have it, right? So today, like I said, it's just kind of known as sprinkle a little salt on, right? Make things taste a little bit better. But before refrigeration, it was a means to preserve things. It was a means to preserve meat, a means to preserve fish from mold, rot, and decay, right? And so salt was critical to everyday life in the ancient world. In fact, there were wars fought over salt, there, are, there were entire economies built on salt in the ancient world. It was so prized. Roman soldiers, in the time that this was written, would be paid sometimes in bags of salt, 
It was so valued. Here's your wage, this much salt, and they would be thrilled. That's how valuable salt was in Jesus' day. Salt could make the difference between life and death during a time where food was scarce, if there was a famine, if there was a drought, right? And so when salt is pressed into meat, it does two things. It accomplishes two things. One, like we know it, it brings out great flavor. Think about that ribeye steak. Put some salt on it, tastes a lot better, right? It brings out these wonderful flavors. And secondly, we don't use it that much anymore this way, but it preserves it from bacterial decay. And it also acts as an antiseptic, right? You may get a toothache or you got something in your mouth, you rinse with some salt water. Why? It's antiseptic. It has healing properties. So it brings taste and flavor. It preserves from mold and decay and has healing properties. It really is an amazing thing. So on the one hand, when you think about salt, it brings out the best in that which it touches, brings out flavor, right? Makes things taste good. And on the other hand, it also keeps things from decay. But only if salt is salt. That doesn't work with just pepper, right? So my, my family, uh, my daughter especially, she, she loves uh, Little House on the Prairie. She reads all the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And so we're reading through them all. We watch the TV shows. We're just, yeah, I know it's weird, but we like them. Um, and they talk all the time about salt pork, right? Like, oh, we're going to go down and get some salt pork, right? Because there's this, it's, it's rural. They're kind of, they're, they're, right? They didn't have refrigeration. And so Izzy was like, what's salt pork? And so we looked it up, and this was fitting because of this sermon. I remember this. This happened about six months ago. Salt pork, and there's also how they uh, got meat during, great, during wars. And so they would take the meat from the animal that was just butchered, and they would surround it in a casing of salt. And it would be preserved for months and months and months. So you could take it out, and then you would boil the meat. Sounds gross, right? But then that's how it wouldn't go bad. It wouldn't rot after a couple of days just out in the elements, so it's a preservation, but only if it's salt, only if it's chemically different and distinct from the meat in a very certain way. If it's not, it's of no use. If you surround it in pepper, it will just spoil. Only if it's salt. So Jesus is looking at you and I. He's looking at his disciples, his church, you just got done telling them how to live a blessed, happy life where you find it, and it's so countercultural. And he looks at us and he says, Church, when you are living out the Beatitudes, when you are living out the way that I just taught you, the kingdom way, when you are pressed into the world, Right? When you are scattered and pressed into the world as you go about your business, as you go about your life, you, Christian, in the world, in the places that you find yourselves, are going to bring out the very best in culture, because that's what salt does. It brings flavor. It brings texture. 
and you are going to prevent it from the very worst of culture. You in the world are going to help prevent decay, rot, and mold from sin because you are the salt of the earth. That's how they would have heard this. You're going to bring out the very best and you're going to prevent its very worst. You are going to provide flavor and goodness, something that people are longing for as you go out into the world, and you are going to prevent the rot and decay of sin that so easily grips us as a people. That's what you're doing, Christian. But only if you remain salty, he says, and don't lose your saltiness. Only if our makeup is distinct, only if our makeup is different than the rest of the world. We have to be distinct. If we're the same as the world, Jesus says it's, it's no value. It's no value. Jesus is saying that the culture that we find ourselves in is decaying and molding and rotting because of sin because of rebellion, because of its rejection of Jesus. Our societies, our communities, our homes are, are rotting and molding. And so Jesus looks at you and I and says, okay, church, you, 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 all of us are the salt of the earth now. This is what I'm calling you to be. You can keep it from decaying by living out the Beatitudes, by living out what I just told you about. And it seems countercultural, but that's where joy and life and happiness will come from. Not in all these other things that we run after and think will bring us true life. You can keep it from decaying from sin more. And more than that, you can bring out its very best. But only if salt is salt, if you're set apart, if you're distinct, if you're different. Notice this, this is interesting, that Jesus says, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. He doesn't command us to be salt, right? He says, you are, that's your identity. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth. So be the salt of the earth, right? Just walk in it. You are, you are this way. You have been changed. You have been radically different. And now you are to be radically different in the world in which you operate in. So God has called out for himself a people to be different, to be distinct, and to be set apart for his purposes, his kingdom way. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way. You, Christian, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people for his, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, Scripture tells us. So, how are these distinct and set-apart people supposed to live? How are we supposed to live as salt and light in this world? What does it look like? Jesus already told us in the Beatitudes, in the, the kingdom way. He says, we're to be poor in spirit, not rich. The world's going to say this, you know, I don't need anyone's help. I've got the inner strength to do it. I've got the willpower. I can pick myself up by the bootstraps. I don't need saving. I've got this. Christians are to be different. 
we stand up and we say, I am unable. I can't do it apart from Christ. I can't earn his favor. I need the grace of Jesus to abound in my life because I'm poor in spirit, but he is great, so I look to him and I lean to him. I need Jesus to save me. We're to be different. We are to be a people who mourn our sins. We don't celebrate our self-righteousness. We mourn our sins. We mourn the sins of the world, Jesus tells us. So we're not, we're not an apathetic people, in other words. We don't uh, endorse sin. We don't turn a blind eye to it either. We don't excuse it. We don't make compromise to sin. We don't surrender to it. We don't say this. Jesus is telling us, well, I've been fighting the same thing over and over and over again for years and years and years, but I cannot find victory in it, so I'm going to give in. This is just how I am. I'm just kind of like this. Deal with it. Jesus says, we don't do that. We mourn our sins and the sins of this world. We keep turning to him in repentance, knowing he is the one we need, not the things that we struggle after that we think we need. We're salt and light because we're a meek people, Jesus told us. Not weak, but meekness. In Christ, we have strength. In Christ, we have great strength. But what makes us different is that we use our power from God that he gives us through the Spirit of God not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. Meekness. Brett said it a few weeks ago, that we show up for people. We don't just serve our own needs and interests but we show up for others. We walk in meekness, just like Jesus did. That's when we're being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, when we consider others better than ourselves. That's countercultural. God's people are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're people who look at the injustices in the world, the injustice of racism, we look at the injustice of the mistreatment of individuals. We look at the killing of even the unborn. And we stand and we don't just mourn those things, though we do, but we fight to bring justice and mercy and rightness to them as believers. We stand up. We hunger and thirst for righteousness to abound in the world in which we live in. Jesus has told us what it means to be salt and light. It's to be distinct and different in this world. He said we're going to be a merciful people. Merciful. When the rest of the world is crying out for vengeance, when the rest of the world is crying out for retribution, we're going to be different and distinct. We're going to be merciful. He said to be pure in heart. This is, how we, this is how we're salt and light. We're going to be pure and hard. What does this mean? It's, it means that there are so many people in this world, we struggle with this too, that give away our hearts to anything and everything that promises happiness in this life. And we tend to give it away to get more money, to get more pleasure, to get uh, the praise of men. Jesus said, no, we're going to be pure in heart. We are going to be unmixed in our affections unmixed in our affections. We are going to be people who are not ruled by many masters, but by one. 
Jesus says we're going to be peacemakers in his greatest sermon as he goes on. Peacemakers. That we're not going to win through arguing on Facebook. But with gentleness and kindness and hospitality. Not through anonymous insulting that is hurled around so easily today, but through face-to-face interaction. Inviting others into our homes that don't even, maybe even think like we think. And letting the peace of Christ reign in our hearts. He says we're going to be peacemakers. And the last thing that we see to be salt and light that Jesus tells us is that when we're living in this way and the world doesn't welcome us with open arms but instead starts persecuting us because of this, um, the world calls us closed-minded, the world calls us foolish, the world calls us bigoted, the world calls us um, all the things the world might call us for trying to live in this way, though I, it seems crazy that they would if you really did live this way, but it happens, Jesus says it will. Uh, Jesus says that when that happens, he says that we rejoice in the midst of it. That we as God's people, do you want to be distinct? Do you want to be set apart? Do you want to have uh, the saltiness that I want you to have in the world today in which you live? He says when people revile you, when they persecute you, rejoice. Rejoice. Be joyful when being reviled. That is a very powerful way to be distinct and different in the world in which we live today. The world today knows nothing about suffering with joy. We don't like to talk about suffering. We don't like to admit that we're suffering. We don't even like to acknowledge that suffering has crept into our lives. But when we rejoice in the midst of suffering for righteousness' sake, Ultimately, we're reflecting King Jesus, aren't we? Who, though he was reviled, he did not revile in return, did he? Though he suffered, he did not threaten. He says this, in the midst of his suffering, catch this, this is incredible. Talk about otherworldly, talked about being distinct. While he was being killed, those that had him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. That kind of living changes the world. And he's saying, church, there needs to be a distinct flavor about you that you are set apart, that you are going to live differently, that you're going to be different. And here's the second point. While, yes, we are to be set apart, while, yes, we are to be different, while, yes, we are to be uh, have our saltiness. We cannot separate from the world. We can't be indifferent from the world. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, of the earth, of the world. He doesn't just say you are, you're just salt. He says you're the salt of the earth, Right? It's been said that you are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the salt shaker. Helps us understand it, right? What do I mean? 
In other words, as long as salt just stays in the salt shaker, it doesn't do or accomplish what it is meant to do and accomplish. It just stays in its nice salt shaker and it's never utilized for the purpose that it was made to be salt for. You're the salt of the earth, not the salt of the salt shaker. We are meant to do something. Salt, if it is not pressed into a wound, cannot heal. If it is not pressed into the meat, cannot preserve it. If it is not pressed into that amazing ribeye that you bought prime at HEB, it will not bring out the flavor that you want. If it just sits there, it will not accomplish what you want it to accomplish. So Christians, church, if all we do is just stay in our Christian huddle, in our Christian bubble, which is tempting to do, isn't it? If all we do is just stay there, we cannot bring healing to a hurting world like God has called us to through Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot bring the light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus into very dark places that it would shine and bring hope to hopeless people. He's called us to be that, to do that. We cannot do what Jesus is asking us to do if we just stay in the salt shaker and we don't allow God to scatter us out of here, out of places like this, into the world that we are in to be distinct and set apart, but to be pressed into the world, to the earth in which we find ourselves in, to be the light of the world that they would be able to see and taste the Lord Jesus, as we walk about and move in our everyday. Jesus said we would be no good if we lost our saltiness, if all we did was just stay in the salt shaker and we're never pressed into the world in which we live unless we were scattered into our workplaces, unless we're scattered and pressed into our neighborhoods, unless we're scattered and pressed into our kids' sports teams and we begin to bump into and meet people that are far from Jesus and we get to be ambassadors of his goodness and his light in the world in which we live in. Meaningful, intentional contact with those that are far from God, showing them salt and light, the way of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. And it's very tempting uh, to just build the walls. It just, it really is. But he's calling us, yes, to live for righteousness and holiness and goodness and value, but yet we're to go out and make an impact in the world in which we live. He's calling us to live a holy life, a set-apart life, while at the same time being pressed into the culture we live. Jesus lived this way. This is exactly how he lived. He lived a life set-apart, holy, righteous, but he brought light to darkness. Prostitutes and tax collectors wanted to eat with him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted to ask him questions. They wanted to be near him. If you live a holy life set apart and never show another person the light, never add flavor to the community, never represent the kingdom of God to those who are far from God, Jesus says that is not a life worth living. Those are strong words. Why put the light of the world under a basket, he says. It's meant to shine in the darkness. That's why we're here. 
That's why he saved you. Church, do your neighbors know you're a Christian? Do your friends know that you've been saved by Jesus? And if they do, do they even think, man, they live differently? They may even find it strange, but do they find it strangely alluring? Do they ask questions about your life? I fear some of us, and this is so easy to happen right here in kind of Bible Belt, conservative Christianville, I'm a, I fear some of us, it's very easy to lose our saltiness, like Jesus says. And if we're not careful, we can just look just like the world, but we just added a new label onto our profile, so to speak. We end up valuing the same things as the world. We end up laughing at the same things the world laughs at. We argue about the same things the world argues about. We turn a blind eye to the same thing the world turns a blind eye to. Church, Christ has saved us. The greatest thing, catch this, the greatest thing that can happen to a human being has happened to you if you are found in Christ. That is the greatest thing in all of the cosmos and anything that you could ever want, dare to dream, that the God of heaven has chosen and adopted you as a son or daughter of the king and has saved and redeemed you, if that is true of you, we should look different. The way we spend our money should be different. The way we spend our time should be different. The way we treat and talk to our spouse should be different. The way we treat and speak to our children should be different. The way we dress should be different. The way we respond when we are insulted should be different. Because you've been called, saved, and redeemed, and Jesus has called you to be a distinct person. Jesus dined with the most open sinners, yet his righteousness and holiness was never questioned. That's what he's calling us into. Learning to live the way that Jesus lived, the kingdom way, to be separate and distinct, yet at the same time being pressed into the lives of the marginalized, being pressed into the lives of the castaways, those that have felt forgotten, being pressed into the lives of the greedy who are just hungering for more and more money, showing them the kingdom way. Jesus ate with them and showed them the kingdom of heaven, taught them, lived with them, giving light to them in the darkness. The salt has to be pressed in. The light has to shine or else it does no good. So church, who has Jesus placed around you? Are you salt and light to them? At Providence North, we wanna be a kingdom outpost 
We want to be able to come back into this place and hear the good news of the gospel, be restored and refreshed by his living word that is living water to our souls and brings refreshment because we go out in the world and we're beat up by the world and sin mars us and hurts us, but we come in here as a kingdom outpost to hear the good news, the life-giving grace of Jesus, but then that fuels us and fills us to send us back out, to scatter us back into our worlds to be what Jesus has asked us to be. Amen? That we can add flavor, we can fight decay and rot in the communities that we find ourselves in. Church, invite someone to come be part of this. Get to know your neighbors. Share the good news of Jesus. Be the salt, be the light, enter in, press in, stand for justice and righteousness and goodness. Why? Because a baby was born in Bethlehem and he laid wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger 2,000 years ago. And he was born into this broken and decaying world, though he was not of this world. Jesus was the only true one who was truly set apart and truly distinct, but catch this. Jesus can say all this to you and I because he has lived it. He did not keep his distinctness, his set-apartness separate from you and me. He entered in. He was heaven's son. He had the worth and the value and the power to save, but if he stayed apart from us, if he stayed away from us, none of that power would have done us any good. It couldn't have saved us. So he came into our world. He pressed himself into our rotting lives and culture at great cost to himself. And though he was, um, had all that he could ever dream, the riches of heaven, he became poor. Though he was almighty God in all power and all majesty, he became a helpless baby. His power, his glory came near to us, pressed into us. Emmanuel, that's what we call him, God with us. He's God and yet he is with us. He is near and Jesus looks at his people, this new kingdom that he's building, a new people that he's building, a new culture that he wants to build and see flourish and see human beings live a life that is full of joy and happiness, but in a way that is honoring to God. He says, you now, just like I came to you, you now go and be pressed into the places which need the light of Jesus so desperately. So church, let's be salt and light. Let's point more and more and more and more people to King Jesus because he's worthy, because that's exactly what he did for us, and that's what he's calling us to do. Let's pray together, church. Lord, give us strength to do this. These are hard things. These are not easy words. God, I pray that this morning you may have given us new ears to hear what you're teaching us. And Lord, that you would give us the power by your spirit to live a way that is so countercultural, that is so otherworldly. God, we can't do it on our own. 
But God, I just pray that you would give someone, give many in this room, a heart to go into dark places, to go into neighbors' houses who don't know you, God, and get to be salt and light to bring redemption and life and healing and the joy that only Jesus can bring into the places that you have placed us in. That's what we're here for. God, help us get out of the rut, some of us. Help us not look just like the world. Help us to be distinct and set apart. Help our community groups lock arms so that we can live in such a way, but at the same time, and keep inviting more people into that room that they would experience the life-giving goodness of Jesus in his way. Help us, in Christ's name, amen. Stand in worship church.